Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for another opportunity to praise you and worship you, Lord God, and to hear your word. And I do pray that you would um, help us understand your word, help us grasp the intent, and help us to allow you to change us, help us to respond rightly, Lord God. I pray that uh, you would use your word mightily today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we almost had some visitors earlier. Some deer were walking by here, so <laughs> a little distraction there for a second. But uh, there. Well, the Lord has made it clear in his word that uh, all are in need of salvation, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, the Lord has also made it clear in his word that there are two types of people in need of salvation. There are those who are irreligious in a sense, Romans chapter 1, uh, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, who continue in their way and God has given them over to uh, their sin. And there are those, Romans chapter 2, who are religious. We see the example of the Jews there who did not know the Lord, uh, who think they're clean but they're not. And they too are in need of salvation. You see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we also know that uh, uh, sin, uh, the wages of sin is death. That sin brings forth death, it brings forth separation. Uh, the Lord God says in Ezekiel 18, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death. But uh, what we've seen uh, in the book of Colossians is the amazing reality of what God has done through his son Jesus Christ. That because of what Jesus did in the cross, bearing our sins in the cross, our sin debt was obliterated. It was, it was destroyed. That, that debt, rising debt, every sin we committed, uh, needed to be taken care of, and Christ took care of that on the cross. And praise the Lord. And so as I thought about that, I felt prompted to share a passage of how we can find true rest, how we can find that rest that we get in Christ Jesus. So would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 20 to 30. And the reality is, if you haven't come to Christ yet, sin is wearisome. Uh, there's no peace uh, for the wicked uh, we see in, he, in Isaiah 53. No peace. If you are in your sins, no matter what kind of peace you think you have, you don't have peace. You don't have peace with God. You don't have rest for your soul. You can do all kinds of stuff to try to get rest, but you do not have it. But as we're going to see, the Lord Jesus offers salvation rest. Let's take a look at that. Now, as you turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30, I want to share just briefly the context of Matthew to get us up to this point. But Matthew is about Messiah King, King Jesus. Matthew is about God the Son who took on human flesh to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to his own, the Jewish people, who were sitting in darkness. They would name his name, yet they were sitting in darkness. And Jesus, graciously having the way prepared by John the Baptist, called upon them to believe in him and repent in their sin because the kingdom was at hand. The king was at hand. And he taught and preached the kingdom truths we see in Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. And he affirmed that with miraculous, chapters 8 and 9. The Jews, unfortunately, believed that they were the Lord's, but they were not saved. And Jesus thus needed to reveal to them what true kingdom citizens look like. And thus affirming his call for repentance and faith in him. We see that the only way to salvation is through Christ, through the narrow gate. Through the narrow gate. And it is only those who hear his word and act upon it who will avoid the storm of judgment. It is those who believe the truth concerning Jesus, acting upon it by trusting in him. And then uh, we saw in chapter 10 of Matthew, the heart of our Savior manifest as he instructs his disciples and sends them in the midst of a multitude of lost souls. 
And then in chapter 11, as Jesus affirmed the ministry of John the Baptist, the Lord clearly began to transition from openly preaching the gospel to a condemnation of those who had rejected the truth. We see a pattern here. The Lord shares the truth to everyone, and then there are those who are condemned, and then he hides it from them, as we'll say. Indeed, in this chapter, we see the face of the unrepentant, those who are religiously deluded, playing games with God, trying to come to him on their own terms. And the result is the maligning of the God who would bring his word and salvation. So this leads us to our passage today, how we can find rest for our souls Uh, Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 20. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At this time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one does know any, does know, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. It's a wonderful passage. So first of all, how can we find rest for our souls? We need to be warned uh, to not reject the truth concerning Jesus, to not reject the truth of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. Because if you do... There is judgment. There is judgment. Notice in verse 20, our passage begins with the term then. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. And you might remember the context. I mentioned it slightly earlier. Earlier in chapter 11, Jesus had responded to John the Baptist's inquiry to his disciples. And after they had left, he began to address the multitudes. And at this point, he vindicated John. And then after that, he began to reproach the current generation, which was in unbelief. A generation of Jews who had heard the message of repentance through John and from the Lord himself and were called to believe. And if you were with us uh, quite a few years ago when we studied Matthew, you might remember Jesus likened the the, the, the unrepentant to a generation of this unrepentant generation to a, to a group of spoiled children. Who get upset when they wouldn't, when you wouldn't play the game they wanted to play. Look uh, back a little bit, Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? The Lord is speaking here. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces calling out to other children saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, nor drinking. They say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. They say, behold, he's a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. The generation had the wrong uh, view of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a corrupt view. They had a corrupt view of him. They had a corrupt view of him. He had been in their midst, and yet they were playing spiritual games like children, like children. And so verse 20 says, back in our passage, Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now, where were the cities where most of his miracles were done? They were done in the cities in that Galilee region. 
as we're going to see in a moment. In these cities, Jesus healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, cleansed the lepers, forgave sins, and raised the dead. Remember, we saw much of the miraculous in chapters 8 and 9. And indeed, these miracles affirmed the person and teaching of Jesus Christ. Indeed, we have bookended around the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 4 and chapter 9, we have those miracles being done, bookending the teaching, proving and demonstrating who Jesus truly is. Look back at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus was going about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Now remember, he just wasn't going around healing. He was teaching and proclaiming the gospel and healing. And it says here, And the news about him went out into all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill and would take him with very various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Then scooch up to chapter 9, verse 35. Chapter 9, verse 35. These are the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. The bookends. Chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus was going about all the cities and all and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Teaching and proclaiming the gospel. And notice it says, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. There was no doubt that the word he was bringing forth was being affirmed by the miraculous. His person and his work affirmed in the midst of these cities in Galilee. You had God in human flesh among them declaring that they need to repent and believe the gospel. They need to enter the narrow gate. They need to believe in him And within that, you had him doing the miraculous that no one could do, doing the miraculous, healing everybody, affirming the person and work of Jesus Christ. And after that, we see uh, he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now you say, what's repentance? What is repentance? I don't hear much repentance these days in churches. I don't hear much about it at all. I hear, try Jesus, try him out. Try out Jesus. He'll, he'll fix everything in your life and you'll be all happy. Uh, there's no really uh, accounting for the truth of that. If you truly believe in Jesus, you're going to suffer for the glories to follow. But you're going to have eternal life, not eternal damnation. Praise the Lord for that. It's a false message going out these days that often does not include repentance. And without repentance, it is a false message. Now, what is biblical repentance? Well, the word metanoia means a change of mind. And a change of mind is not simply a mental uh, a mental uh, exercise. There are some who say you can change your mind and then not do something. Well, if you change your mind, you're going to do what you're changing your mind about. If I'm driving to Walmart and I change my mind and think, I'm going to go to Dollar General. If I keep going to Walmart, I didn't change my mind. If I go to Dollar General, I changed my mind as evidenced by going to Dollar General. It is a change of mind. And biblical repentance is a turning from sin for salvation to God in faith. Hebrews chapter 6, Therefore, laying, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not again laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. We know in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Thessalonians, they repented. For they themselves report, Paul is writing, uh, what kind of reception we have with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They turned. They, they, they recognized that it was, it was in sin. They turned to the Lord God. And he saved them and changed them. Scripture reveals now that God is declaring to all men everywhere that they should Repent. He's declaring through his word. Now you see these guys on the side of the road yelling, repent, 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 repent. We've got to be careful. We're not to cast our pearls before swine. It needs to be the Lord God declaring through his people at the right time. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But his word declares to all everywhere. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, Paul shares, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Because 
He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So God is declaring to everyone, you need to change your mind. You need to recognize your sin and turn to God for salvation from that sin. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent. Because there's a judgment coming. If you don't repent, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to be judged for them. We see in Luke 24, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he's walking with those dejected disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem on the third day. And he is talking to them with his his uh, being being hidden from them. He shares the truth concerning uh, himself in all the scriptures. And it says in chapter Luke 24, 20, 40, Luke 24, 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, repentance is not a work. It's, it's, it's one side, it's the other side of the coin of faith. When I turn to believe in Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning to Him. I can't save myself. I can't clean myself up. I can't get out of the pig pen I'm in. But I'm turning to Jesus, and Jesus is the God who saves. We see that God leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2, talking to the Jews who were religious. Or do you think lightly of the riches? Verse 4. Of kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. You see how kind and gracious He is. He loves us. Second Timothy chapter two reveals that God grants it. Second Timothy two twenty four and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Man, we need this verse, don't we? We got a lot of quarrelsome bondservants out there. And we're all certainly tempted to do that. We want to share what's true. We want to share what's right. We see how everything is so wrong. But we're not to be quarrelsome. The Lord's bondservant is, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God might grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, they might escape the snare of the devil, being held captive to do his will. And we see throughout Scripture that God calls sinners to repent. Matthew twelve forty one, Luke eleven thirty two, Acts two thirty eight, and three nineteen. So, we even see back in chapter four, verse seventeen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Repent because King Jesus has come upon the scene, taken on human flesh to save his people from his sins. Repent because the king is at hand, thus the kingdom is at hand. And God is a gracious God, a merciful God, who burst upon the scene of death. The righteous one came upon the scene and shined in the midst of darkness. And the message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are your sins forgiven? We saw in Colossians, uh, through faith in Christ, we have our sins forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. They've been nailed to the cross, obliterated. They've been taken out of the way. You can have your sins forgiven today if you're willing to acknowledge your sin. God says you're a sinner. You're willing to acknowledge that, agree with him, and turn to the Lord Jesus. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord Jesus, save me. But what happens if we don't repent? What happens if we hear the word and we harden our hearts? How about we hear his verse and we harden our hearts? What happens if we don't repent? The Jews certainly saw a lot of the Lord Jesus. They heard his word. They heard his word. They saw the miracles. What happens? Look in our passage. We see the Lord Jesus responding to the unrepentant, and it's a warning. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. There you go. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles occurred in time, entire inside in which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. The term woe is a state of verbal condemnation and impending judgment. You don't want God saying woe to you. You don't want God saying woe to you. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These were cities in Galilee in which he had done many miracles 
And obviously in the context, the repentance and trust in him was proclaimed. Believe the gospel. But they hadn't repented. It says in verse 20, because they did not repent. The end of verse 20. So we have this statement, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. And then we have the statement, for if, and an interesting statement, kind of a hypothetical thing God gives us here. The Lord Jesus gives us a hypothetical statement. If the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which had occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, the cities of Tyre and Sidon were, were Phoenician coastal cities, what we call Lebanon today, and they were known for their materialistic worldliness. And the Jews of the day despised those sinners over in Tyre and Sidon. The unbelieving Jews, by the way, they despised them. They understood them, these Phoenicians, they saw them as wicked. But Jesus says, woe to you, these cities here, uh, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre, which occurred near the things that you saw, if that would have occurred in these wicked cities, they would have repented in sackcloth, long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If they would have heard the truth, the preaching and teaching affirmed by the miracles, they would have repented. But as we see, they didn't repent. Um, and neither did Corazon and Bethsaida. He says, nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. A couple observations here. There is a day of judgment. There's a day in which God will judge. And here the Lord is saying, hey, if they would have had this revelation back then, they would have repented. And how much more culpable are you for rejecting this revelation concerning uh, the Lord Jesus here? And what's interesting and scary is that God allows, allows hearts to be hardened when people don't respond. He allows them to be hardened. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 13. Now we can get into the hypothetical stuff. Why didn't God give them more revelation back in Tyre Sidon? He didn't. They had enough and they didn't respond, right? But certainly there was massive amount of revelation for these in Corazon of Bethsaida. Look back at Matthew 13, um, verse 10. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? It's kind of interesting because in seminary I was taught, use parables and stories. They always said, use stories. Use stories to tell everybody about everything. Illustrate with stories. Story, story, stories, right? And I thought, that's not right. God used parables, actually, as we'll see, to hide the truth. He didn't use them to bring about. He, he, he would explain it then to those in whom he desired. He says, he says, why do you speak to them parables? And he answered and said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Verse 12 of chapter 13. For whoever has, has, to him more shall be given. And he who has, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In And in this case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says you will keep on hearing but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing but will not perceive. Now notice this. this is they, they've, they brought themselves to this point. For the heart of those people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have what? They have closed their eyes. So they became hardened. So God then hid his revelation from them. He says, he says, the hardest people have come dull with their eyes, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. It's a scary thought. If you hear the word of God, don't, don't reject it because God will allow your heart to be hardened. God will allow you to harden your heart and he will hide his revelation from you that you wouldn't be saved, that you would be judged. Scary thought. So then back in our passage, he says, nevertheless, it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment. Hey, their judgment is going to be more tolerable than yours. You say, wait a second. I thought all sin is sin. Don't let people say you tell you all sin is the same. People say, this sin is just like that. It's all sin. It's all the same. That's not true. 
Some people say all judgment is the same. That's not true. There is an increased culpability in judgment based on how much revelation you have been allowed to have and thus reject. There's increased culpability. He says it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. They're going to be judged, but it's not going to be as bad as yours. Yours is going to be really bad because you rejected the Messiah in the midst of all these miracles and revelation concerning him. There is a judgment, folks. And the judgment is because people have not repented and placed their faith in Jesus. There's a judgment for sin. There is a judgment day. There's a day of judgment. Hebrews 9.27, Inasmuch as it appointed man once to die, and then after comes the judgment. Scripture reveals there's a day of judgment. Matthew 10.14, And whoever does not receive you, speaking of disciples, does not heed your words, go out of that house, shake out the dust off your feet. Uh, truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom going that day and the day of judgment than for that city. They didn't receive the truth concerning the Messiah who was in their midst and sent out his disciples to share that truth? Shake off your feet, walk away from them. They're going to have heavy-duty judgment. That's basically what he's saying. Matthew twelve thirty-five: The good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I say to you that every careless word men shall speak, this Lord Jesus speaking, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you shall be condemned. I read this earlier, but in Acts 17, that God is declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent, for he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world through the man, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. Solomon, after uh, his uh, wasted time, his empty time, uh, his time that turned out to be vanity, he says in the end in Ecclesiastes, the conclusion... When all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. There is a judgment day. God is a just God, and there will be accounting for every sin, every ju- every act, every word, every every deed. And folks, as we see this, there are varying degrees of judgment. It'll be more tolerable for, for Tyre and Sidon. It'll be more tolerable than these cities that saw these miracles. You know, I believe today in this uh, day of the church, with all the revelation we have, the judgment's going to be much worse. We have uh, the body of Christ in the world. We're not just the Lord Jesus. He talked about how much more uh, the body of Christ would do. We have the truth going forth and the, rec- the and the rejection of this truth. How much more the judgment for this generation? How much more has the, the body of Christ on earth in their midst? So if you hear this, you don't respond. Your judgment is high. It's heavy. But God's a gracious God. Don't harden your heart. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Okay, so notice he reproves the cities that were based in his Galilean ministry. And then notice he reproves the city that the most miracles were done in. Verse 23, back in our passage in chapter 11. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Very serious. This is an amazing statement. He's saying, if the wicked Sodomites, the city that God destroyed with fire and brimstone, delivered Lot and his daughters, his wife turning back to pillar salt, He poured out fire and brimstone upon them for their evil wickedness as an example for those in the future. We see that in 2 Peter. They would have repented. But notice, because of the great spiritual pride of Capernaum, they rejected Christ. They thought they were going to heaven. And Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You think you're going to heaven. 
you shall descend to Hades. You're going to Hades. You're going to be judged because you rejected Jesus. We see in Luke chapter 16 that Hades is a place of temporal torment. We see the rich man in Lazarus. Lazarus was being comforted in Abraham's bosom when he died. The rich man, uh, he went into the grave and was buried, and yet he opened his eyes in torment. Luke chapter 16. And he cried out to Father Abraham, Have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember during your life, this is Luke sixteen twenty five, that you received the good things, and likewise Lazarus the bad things, but now he's being comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us there is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who wish to come over here from you may not be able and that no, none may cross over from here, cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he might warn them lest they come to this place of torment. I think about this when you see these stars who die. They live their lives, and they lived it to gain the whole world, and there's no, there's no declaration of faith in Christ. Yeah, if they believe the last minute, praise the Lord, we hope that's the case, but I think if they're in Hades... They're, they're in agony. And they've been there ever since they died. And they're on their way waiting to And they may be saying the same thing. Send so-and-so to tell them. But notice how uh, he's responded to. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Hey, they got the word of God. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will. Notice what he says. He's in Hades. They will repent. You see, he knows what they need to do. But he said to him, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Capernaum thought they were going to go to heaven. They're going to Hades. Great spiritual pride because they rejected Jesus Christ. You know, so often these days... There's so little of a warning involved in the gospel. There's so little of a warning concerning repentance and the need to be saved. You know, if you don't know what you're being saved from, you're not being saved. We're sinners, and we need a Savior. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are many people in this churches that are a desert wilderness. They think they're saved. They're like Capernaum. They think they're saved, but they're on their way to Hades and judgment and hell. What about you? What would Jesus say to you today? Would he say, woe to you, so-and-so? If those in Sodom have heard what you've heard today, they would have repented. What would he say to you, so-and-so? Will you not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. But I proclaim to you repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ bore our sins. If you trust in him, you will be saved. You will be saved. So then we got to take the warning. We've got to heed the warning. You want rest for your soul? Heed the warning. Heed the warning and turn to Jesus. And realize at this point that salvation is not something that you do. It is something that God does. It is a, it is a work of God. Notice this interesting statement here. Uh, verse 25, then at, at this time, Jesus answered, said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. It, it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Very interesting statement here. Very interesting. Speaking of God's complete uh, sovereignty over salvation. Uh, don't be deceived. Salvation does not come from man. It comes from God. God is the one who saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. It's God who saves. And it doesn't originate in the will of man, but God beckons the will of man. But it doesn't originate in the will of man. It originates in the will of God. So he publicly praises the Father for hiding revelation from the prideful and revealing it to the humble. 
At this time, Jesus answered said, I praise thee, O Father. This is in the middle of why he's giving these condemnations. Right in the middle, he goes into a praise. He says, I praise thee, O Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didn't hide these things from the wise and tongues, didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. Here we have a verbal confession of agreement. I praise, ex, ex homo legia, an outward confession, a profession, acknowledgement of agreement. I agree, O oh Father, I praise you in agreement. I praise you in agreement. Now, what is this outward profession agreement about? What's the context here? Well, we have a parallel passage in Luke that, that helps us see this a little bit. In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, it's very interesting. He says, at this very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty interesting. He's rejoicing. He's condemning the cities that saw the most miracles. And then he rejoices greatly in the Holy Spirit at this time. Luke 10, 21. And said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou dost hide these things from the wise and intelligent, dost reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it is well-pleasing in thy sight. He rejoiced. What's he so joyful about? Two things. That the Father hid revelation from the prideful and intelligent, and that he revealed it to the babes. This helps us understand where our hearts need to be to come to Jesus, by the way. You need to humble yourself. If you think you got it all figured out, I, I, I cringe at these books that say the whole process of how I figured out that Jesus was God and I did it all and I got there and I got saved. I, yes, they finally got the gospel and maybe they believed it and got saved. I, praise the Lord for that, but the rest is junk. It's not the wise and intelligent that come to faith in Jesus. It's the babes. It's the babes. Now here we gain insight into one thing that pleases God and brings joy to him. Keeping his saving truth from those who are self-sufficient and self-focused and self and focused on self and revealing it to those whom he calls babes. The wise and intelligent are wise and intelligent in their own eyes. They're spiritually prideful. Proverbs 30 verse 12, there's a kind who is pure in his own eyes but is not washed from his filthiness. The babes here are literally like infants. That's the word he uses. I think he's speaking of the characteristics of infants that are totally dependent, totally trust. There's no question. Baby doesn't question you, just trust you. Right? We see in Matthew 18, the Lord Jesus shares, Truly and truly, verse 13, unless you become converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom. There needs to be a humbling. There needs to be a recognition of your spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So let me ask you this. Have you ever humbled yourself for a living God? That you don't know anything, and he knows everything? That everything he says is true? And everything you think apart from him is wrong. Have you ever humbly come to him like a child in total need, asking for salvation? We see that's what God is pleased in and rejoices in. He rejoices in that. He rejoices in saving people, by the way. Even the angels of heaven rejoice when one soul is saved, right? Now notice back in our passage, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. I think he's cutting off their their belief that they knew the Father without knowing him. He'll share that later on in the book of John. Hey, you can't come to me. You can't come to him apart from me. We know that that no one comes to the Father apart from Jesus, right? And here we see that he is given... All authority and power. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Matthew 28, we see that Jesus came up and spoke, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's God, the Son, all authority. And why he has an all authority? Because no one knows the Son except the Father, and nor does the Father, anyone know the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son wills to reveal. 
That's an interesting statement. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can know God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. No man has seen God at any time. John 1.18, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He, speaking of Jesus, has explained him. He's explained him. And here we see it as God's choice. And we go, choice, ay, 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 ay. But that word election, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, sadly, we have theological groups that take certain pieces without other pieces, and they make that one piece the underpinning of everything and thus distort everything else. Yes, as we're going to see, election is true, but so is human responsibility. And how does it work together? I don't know. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him in love. First Peter chapter 1, that uh, uh, he talks about those who reside as aliens scattered, who are chosen. Lectos. John six sixty four. but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was to betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I say to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Acts 13.48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And we go, oh, yeah, okay. Now this strikes at our pride, Romans chapter 9. It strikes at our pride. But God is the one who chooses. But yet within that, God also makes it clear that the offer is available to all. And he takes no pleasure to the death of the wicked. How does that work? How does that work? Ezekiel chapter 18. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather that he should turn from his way and live? He doesn't take pleasure. He takes pleasure in hiding his truth, but he doesn't take pleasure that they're dying. He'd rather they would humble themselves, repent, and believe. Ezekiel 18.31. Cast away from you all your transgression, which you've committed, and make for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies to cover the Lord's, to the Lord. therefore repent and live. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now I warn you not to make any doctrine the underpinning of all the rest of the doctrines. Let God's truth explain itself. Lay it out there. How do I understand these things working together? I don't. I'm not God, but I believe them. I believe them. And the interesting thing about this is everywhere you see God's choice right next door, you see a free offer. And that's what we're going to see here. He talks about it, and then he says, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. The free choice, the free offer to all. Quite amazing. Uh, you have uh, Romans 9, God's sovereignty and salvation. Romans 10, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You have here this passage, and then you have this offer. This offer. Look at this offer here, verse 28. The offer, uh, the free offer. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The implication in that invitation is you're going to have to acknowledge and humble yourself that you are weary and heavy laden. You're going to have to realize you need rest. You're going to need to be humbled. You need to come like a child. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my load is light. And this is a tremendous verse. If you want your sins obliterated, then I encourage you to take up the Lord Jesus on this offer. Notice what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who's he inviting? All who are weary and heavy laden. The term weary speaks of great physical toil, strong exertions, hard labor. It carries the idea of becoming weary. It can speak of emotional weariness. That weariness that accompanies great difficulty. It speaks of those who are continually, habitually weary. Folks, sin is wearying. Whether it's the weariness of seeking one's own desire religiously or irreligiously, it's wearying. If you sin, and you're gonna, it's gonna wear you down. It's gonna wear you down. 
And then notice he has in this invitation the phrase heavy laden. It speaks of carrying heavy burdens. And it's in a tense that speaks of something already completed. You've taken those burdens on you and they're on you. You've made a choice, and I believe religiously, to weigh yourself down. We see very clearly how there's spots in the New Testament that this false religious system the Jews had brought forth was weighing down those who believed it. We see very clearly in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 46, But woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves are not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers, not one. In Matthew 23, Jesus then spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And they lay, they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders. And but they themselves are unwilling to move them with such a finger. Matthew nine thirty six, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord Jesus says in the midst of this great condemnation of those who had rejected him, he says, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And then it's emphatic in the Greek, and I emphatically will give you rest. Jesus gives you rest for your souls. It is Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose from the dead. When you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, he personally gives you rest because his work is applied to you through faith and you are forgiven, your sins obliterated. You're forgiven. He'll give you rest. Rest speaks of a cessation of effort and thus refreshment. We see that uh, the physical picture of, of Israel going into the land was a physical picture of rest, which was a spiritual picture of what we have in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, salvation rest. So then, calling upon those weary in sin and heavy laden. Maybe you're weary in sin. Maybe you, you're in some type of a... Uh, uh, religious bondage, Catholicism, Mormonism, you know, denominationalism, whatever it might be, Church of Christ, baptized to be saved, whatever it might be, you are bound. Jesus says, come to me, and he'll give you rest. He'll give you rest. But you got to admit you're weary and heavy laden. you got to admit why. Sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, will you come to Jesus in repentance? Remember, those who are going to hell didn't repent. Would you come to him in repentance? Only Jesus gives true rest. You can have it today. And then notice, he has a gracious offer, but he continues. I believe this, this continuing portion applies to us and those who take him up in his offer. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Two more commands. First of all, the first command, come to me. Second command, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What's he talking about here? I believe he's talking about those who are truly have faith in him and who are disciples, are becoming disciples in that context. You see, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a disciple. And he says, this first command, take my yoke upon you. And the yoke was simply a piece of wood that would be placed on an animal, attached to a wagon or plow or a mill, and be used to control the animal or animals. And for obvious reasons, being under someone's yoke spoke of submitting. Obviously, the, the animals are submitting under that yoke, right? And often a student would be speaking of being under the yoke of their teacher, that they're submitting to their teacher to learn. I believe that's exactly what he's saying here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's going to talk about that yoke. He's going to talk about he's gentle and humble, and he's going to, you're going to find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my load is light. Let Jesus do it all, and you're going to have rest. Let Jesus do it all, and you're going to have rest. Let him teach you. Learn from him. Learn from him. Brothers and sisters, if your Christian walk is hard, I'm not talking about the difficulties of suffering for Jesus and the exertion of energy serving him. I know that. But if you are wearied down, 
His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You know, his commandments, First John 5, are not burdensome when we're abiding in him and trusting in him. Let him teach you. Let him teach you. Notice he says here, this is the only statement in the entire Bible where the Lord Jesus describes his own character. He describes himself. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What a great God. You're not going to get slapped around. He's gentle and humble in heart. Come to him. Come to him. Learn from him. Brothers and sisters, learn from Jesus through his word. He's gentle and humble in heart. Learn from a humble, gentle God. Learn. And he says here, and you shall find rest for your souls. You learn from Jesus, you're going to have rest. He's going to give you salvation rest, and you're going to have rest in your salvation if you come to Jesus and you learn from him. You'll even find joy obeying him. You see, God provides everything we need in his son Jesus. And notice the explanation for verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. It is no trouble for Jesus to do anything. He's God. It's no trouble for him. And you see, when we're walking with him, trusting in him, his commandments are not burdensome. John 15, abide in me and I in you, verse 4, as a branch cannot bear fruit from itself, of itself, unless it abides in the vine, he so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, I'm not saying we don't get tired. I'm not saying we don't get exhausted. What I'm saying is that when you're walking with Christ by faith, submitting to him, by the way, obeying and learning from him through the word, you're going to find rest for your soul because Jesus doesn't call you to do anything. He will not empower you to do when you rest in him. Therefore, his commandments are not burdensome, and there's joy in it. Friend, are you weary, burned out because of your sin, under a yoke you cannot bear? Jesus says, come to me. Believe in him. Brother and sister, are you burdened lately? Have you taken it back up? Hand it over, cast it upon him, because he cares for you. So how can we find true rest? Heed the warning. Repent or you'll be judged. And understand it is God who saves those who will humble themselves like a child and believe what he says and trust in him. And then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray that no one would harden their hearts who is listening, Lord, that they would accept your word. They'd believe it, and they would come to your son, Jesus, if they haven't come in faith. And Lord, for those of us who have believed in your son, may we rest in him. May we abide in him. May we remember that he is gentle and humble of heart, and his load is easy, his burden is light. May we rest in him and find rest for our souls. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.